Please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel in the New Testament. We are in chapter one. I've had a couple messages so far in this series. Thankful for Gil's ministry last week among us as I had the opportunity to be away and I'm just so thankful for uh, the good report I heard about that. But we are continuing with this idea of conversations with Jesus. And as we take some time this year to just listen to his words and how he has interacted with his followers and even those who are questioning and, and those who even did not end up following him. We learn so much about his approach to life and what he desires for his children and how we should interact with the world around us. And so as we have kind of digested, hopefully, the first portion of John 1, I want to just remind you that John, at the beginning, really kind of gives us that theological foundation for why we should trust Jesus. How, how is it that this is the one voice, the voice of truth that, that we trust? And John gives us a great theological foundation about the nature of Jesus. We talked about Jesus being the communicator. He is the divine wisdom incarnate. He is the word, as he says there at the beginning of the chapter. He's also the eternal one. It says, in the beginning was the word. And so Jesus has always been. He always will be. He's eternal. He is the one true God. It says, the word was God. So we have no question Even though he was 100% man, he is still 100% a God, and so we trust his deity. He is the true Son of God, and so he is the voice for us. He's also the creator, John says, that all things came into being through him. So Jesus is the creator, and he is the sustainer. And so we can trust him because he knows us more than we even know ourselves. As well, he describes Jesus as being the life. In him was life. And so in Jesus Christ, we find all that we need. He is also the light, as it says there. He is the light of men. And so there is no darkness in him at all. He is completely pure and holy. And in him, we find the light of truth. And the darkness, even though it may seem great, it cannot, uh, it cannot overcome, it cannot, uh, overcome the light. The light is the light of God. And then as well, in verse 14, we find that the word became flesh. Jesus is human. And so he understands everything that we go through. In fact, he was tempted at all the same points That we are. So that's kind of the theological grid that we accept and believe based on the truth that John reveals at the beginning of chapter 1. And so we can come to the right conclusion, the same conclusion that John the Baptist did in 29 when he saw Jesus coming. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We have that same conclusion. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one true God. In verse 34, it says that he is the Son of God. So the one that they had been waiting for for generations has now revealed himself in the Word, in human form, and we have the opportunity to understand his interactions with people 
in a real upfront, clear way. Now, I want to just remind us as well the purpose of the book. John writes these things, he says, but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so with this foundational uh, perspective about who Jesus is uh, and the fact that John says he wants us to believe in him and when we do, we find life. That is where we come up with our theme for the year. We are doing life with Jesus. That's a popular slogan or phrase in our culture. Simply means to embark upon a journey in the path of life with someone. And even though that may include the good and the bad, the ordinary moments, the really exciting monumental moments, it's living life with someone. And so when we understand as God's children that our life is wrapped up in Jesus, we uh, kind of have adopted that idea of we must continue to do life with him. And he becomes our person, so to speak. And um, Jesus should be the center of all that we do. And so as we go through these conversations with people, John helps us understand what life looks like when we do life with Jesus, when he is our person. So that kind of brings us to where we are in the text. If you would look in verse 35, we'll start there. And Lord willing, we'll get through verse 51 today as we see Jesus interact with a few different individuals. John 1, verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he, pur uh, he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. 
And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's ask God's blessing on his word as we begin. Father, we get to open your book, the book of life, and find you, Jesus, the one true light, the true life that we can be a part of and take part of your your invitation is open to all. And so, God, this morning as we look at your word, would you help us understand your invitation, understand your heart, and understand what it means for the rest of our days. Lord, help us in this hour, we ask in your holy and precious name I pray. Amen. So I want to just give you a few things as we look at these conversations with these five individuals that kind of give us a perspective of how Jesus started to interact with other people. Obviously, Jesus grew up as a normal boy, had many interactions, had many conversations, and there's some other aspects in some of the other Gospels that give us, fill in some of those details, but for John... What we have here in this section are some initial conversations that there's not a lot of recorded words here, but what is recorded helps us to understand who Jesus is and what he offers to everyone. And so we have, uh, through these season, through the season of time, we have John the Baptist is on the scene. We can have some find a few verses before that, verse 29 and, and following. You can see some of the interaction there. But John the Baptist had become well-known as a teacher, and he was one that was uh, there on the scene and, and had gained popularity. And so the text tells us that he had these disciples. Now, it may seem weird to you in our culture that you could have a teacher and and you would have the description be disciples. Um, if you use that terminology today, they, people probably would think you're part of a cult or something like that. Uh, but in the day in which this was written, in the days that this took place, this would have been a, a, a cultural norm that you could have a popular teacher and then you would have more like a student that would spend their days really gleaning and understanding kind of a a modern day mentor um, but they would be called disciples and so you have these two disciples of John the Baptist that here interact with Jesus because John the Baptist is pointing everyone to the Messiah he's pointing everyone to the Lamb of God And he was very clear that he was not the Messiah, he was not the promised one, but he was there to prepare the way or point people to Jesus. And that's what he has done. For these two disciples, John the Baptist has pointed them to Jesus. And so we have here this interaction with this man that is named, his name is Andrew, and then there's another disciple that is not named, and most likely it is probably our writer. Uh, most people would agree that, that the unnamed disciple here is probably John. And so you have Andrew and John on this occasion interacting with Jesus, and it says in verse 36, And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So there was something there that they trusted their 
mentor or their teacher, when he said, okay, this is the one, they started to follow Jesus. And notice Jesus' response. Jesus turned and said, and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? What do you seek? Now, I want to just kind of park here for a minute because I think this question really is, is, is a very simple way of Jesus understanding the heart of man and understanding certainly with these two guys what was happening. In fact, the scripture is very clear that Jesus understands everything that is in the heart of man. In chapter 2 and verse 24 and 25, I'll read that if you want to turn over, you can. But it says there, but Jesus on, uh, on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus is the all-knowing God. He knows exactly what man needs. And every person born into this world has this God-shaped hole that only God himself can fill. And Jesus knows this about these two individuals. He knows they're seeking on some level. They're following John the Baptist and what John the Baptist was saying. And, and as John was directing uh, their perspective to him, he knows that about them. And he turns and he asks this very, very fundamental question. What do you want? What are you looking for? Now again, we don't have a lot of the words in this conversation, but I think we can understand the heart behind this, that Jesus really gets right to the issue from the very beginning with these two individuals. He goes right after it. And the issue is that we are all searching for something to fill what only God can fill. And when we see across our culture and even our own lives the, the options that are out there to chase after, whether that be some sort of pleasure, whether that be some sort of security, whether that be some sort of relationship, Jesus knows their fundamental need is the treasure that he offers. And as we go through these conversations in the Gospel of John, pretty soon we're going to talk about a woman that he offers living water to because he knows that what he offers satisfies. And so he simply asks these two individuals, what are you looking for? What do you want? Not because he doesn't know, because he's very aware. And he offers them, really, this invitation this invitation, he says, come and you will see. Now, I know the circumstances here in the context that, that they're asking, hey, where are you staying? And, and they want to be around him more. So where, where is your residence? Where are you? And, and his idea of, of come and see is, yes, technically where he was for the day because it says that they do spend the day here. But I think the invitation is actually really addressing what, what he knows that they need. He is inv inviting them to be a part of himself, to be a part of his life. And as we go through all the way to 51, when his invitation continues, that you are going to see greater things than these. Follow me and you will see amazing things. You will see the heavens open 
This is going to be a glorious journey. And the invitation that Jesus offers to all men is all-inclusive. It is a never-ending supply. He invites every man and woman, child, to be part of his life. It's a never-ending experience. I had the opportunity to to go with my wife recently to what's called an all-inclusive resort. And we hadn't been to one for 20-some years. When we first got married, we went to one. I don't know if you've ever had that opportunity. Um, But at an all-inclusive resort, you can basically eat all day long. And it's glorious. Uh, And and it, it, it hit me, I think, the first night when we were at dinner... Uh, if you know me personally, those who do know that some would call me cheap. Um, some people would call me cheap. I would call myself frugal. Um, but my, my tendency when I am the one spending money is to, uh, to go on the, on the lesser side of life, especially when it involves things that would be depreciating items like food. Uh, ask my children. They, there's probably still a little bitterness with my kids because through the years I never allowed them to get a drink at a restaurant unless it came free with the kids' meal. Um, there's probably a lot of you know uh, stuff that's still not resolved there through the years. Um, but so that's my personality. And then you land in a place where they say you can do whatever you want. And the first night at uh, the restaurant, I, it hit me. It's like you open that menu. And typically, I may splurge for an appetizer. In the recent years, I've done more of that. In the early days, nope, unless it was chips and salsa. And you can help feed a whole family for like three bucks on, on chips and salsa. But <clears throat> you open a menu, and you literally can order every appetizer you want. And then you can order any of the meals and desserts. And, and so I did. I ordered three appetizers, two entrees, and, and I went to town. And, and it, it was just this experience where you literally could just go and go and go. And then when you're done there, you just walk by the next little place and, oh, they have ice cream and, and gelato. And, oh, oh, you can have as much as you want of that. So give me some more of that. And there's this openness, this never-ending supply. I mean, now you've, you've paid for it in theory, but because you're not, like, in the moment paying for it, you, you find it. I, I kept saying, oh, it's free. I'm not trying to minimize at all what we find in Jesus by using that silly illustration. But in him, we find a never-ending supply. Yes, you can enjoy the simple pleasures of life in the form of food or whatever. But in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, when we accept his invitation, we find true satisfaction. The satisfaction that actually fills up our life, that does make us whole, in him is life. And Jesus, right from the beginning, addresses these two individuals. And he says to them, what are you looking for? What do you want? Because come and see, I have it. 
I have everything your heart is searching for. And we live in a world that chases after all kinds of things. I mentioned satisfaction just in that very general, basic way, but people seek to be satisfied in a number of a variety of ways. People want significance. They want to be someone. You just spend 30 seconds on social media and you can identify what people want. They want to feel significant. They want people to like them. They want people to, to be interested in what they are selling or what they have or what you know wisdom or knowledge they want to impart. People want to be significant. People want stability, they want security, they want financial freedom, they want to be need-free. People want love, they want relationships, they want community. There's a never-ending desire in all of our hearts to chase after things. And Jesus offers an invitation that is all-inclusive. He has everything that we need. What are you looking for? It is found in Christ. One writer says this, Jesus' immediate response to them, come and you will see, was the invitation that John and Andrew were hoping for. But Jesus, in fact, was bidding these men to do something more than just discover where he was staying the night. He was inviting them to come and gain from him an insight into the mind and the purposes of God himself. And with that invitation comes the completion that we all long for. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And what does he provide? He provides rest. Rest for our souls. Rest for that constant longing for satisfaction or significance or security, we find rest in Jesus. So number one, I would say his invitation was all-inclusive. Number two, from these conversations, I would say Jesus' presence is convicting. Look at verse 39. He said to them, come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was saying, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. So we have here this one afternoon or this one season of time, just a few hours with Jesus what happens is that Jesus' presence, and again, we don't have all the conversation, but we know the effect that it had on Andrew. So, started the day, follower of John the Baptist, John was pointing them to Jesus. Jesus offered a simple invitation. And what Andrew gained from those moments with Jesus, from his presence, was a conviction where they now believe, Andrew now believed, this is the Messiah. We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. He is the anointed one, the one that we have been waiting for. Jesus' presence brought conviction in Andrew's life. 
and it was quick and it was immediate. He knew that this was the promised one. Andrew initially referred to Jesus as the teacher in verse 38. Remember, he says, Rabbi. So at some point in the beginning, he acknowledged Jesus as a teacher, as a unique, you know, who had a unique skill set and offered knowledge. But here, in a short amount of time, he is acknowledging him as the Messiah. He is the promised one. Jesus' presence was convicting. And Andrew was confident. Andrew was confident just having that little bit of conversation, that little bit of interaction with Jesus. He was now a believer. Number three, Jesus' perspective is hopeful. Look at verse 42, because we have another conversation here going to take place. He brought, so we're now, now Andrew has brought Peter to uh, Jesus in verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So again, these conversations, they're simple, they're short, but they're direct. What are you looking for? Come and see. I mean, maybe there was more said here in the initial time, but from what we can tell, Jesus, it says, Jesus looked at him and said, so the very first thing in the conversation with Jesus to this man Cephas, or this man Simon, was, you know what? You're going to have a new name. I mean, that, that may be a little awkward. It probably would be in our context. I mean, there were times in Scripture and and Simon would be familiar with like Jacob giving a new name in the Old Testament and, and others who were given a, a new name. But all, all Simon knows is that his brother has said, we found the Messiah. First thing out of the Messiah's mouth is, you're going to have a new name. Why would Jesus do that? Well, I would suggest that, that Jesus' perspective is, is very hopeful for Peter. That Jesus knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen in Peter's life. Peter here is just meeting Jesus. But Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus is going to transform Peter. He is hopeful for Peter's future. That when Peter believes in him, God is going to do great things in his life. And he's going to use him to accomplish amazing things. So when he saw Peter, it was that unrealized potential. He says to him, your name will now be Cephas, which means, means rock. And, and if we read in Matthew and understand what he meant by that, is that he was going to use Peter, this man he's just meeting, he's going to use Peter to have a significant role in the development of the church. And, and so... What Jesus sees here is is what he can be. He sees his transformation. He sees the strength that Peter would have to get out of the boat to walk on the water. But you know what else he saw? He saw the weakness in Peter's life that would cause him to take his eyes off Jesus and falter. You know what Jesus would see in this moment? He would see that Peter would, in the night before Jesus' death, be sleeping in the garden. This would be the guy that 
Jesus would come to and specifically say, Simon, Peter, why are you sleeping? You should be praying. And he would also, in this moment, see Peter denying Jesus over and over and over again. But that's not the end of Jesus' perspective. He sees all of our weaknesses. He sees all of our failures. He sees all of our times of doubt. He sees all of our times of struggle. He sees all of our brokenness. But he sees it through the eyes of transformation. And he sees Peter. And he says, you are going to be the rock. One of the major key players in the development of the church that all of church history will continue to remember. So yeah, he saw the weakness and he saw the failures and, and, and the doubting. But he saw the transformation of a heart. And what God can use in an individual who's willing to follow. So Jesus' perspective of people, and I think it should be ours as well. We see through the eyes of hope and how Jesus can transform an individual. The invitation is all-inclusive. It's open to anyone, and it is a never-ending stream of living water. And when one comes to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and is convinced of that, it doesn't make them perfect yet. Their glorification is secured in the future, but it it doesn't mean that they won't falter, that they won't struggle, that they won't mess up. But from Jesus' perspective, He sees the eyes of transformation and what can be. And we have here this unique moment where Jesus meets someone and says, this is your name, but you're going to have a new name. Very short interaction, very short conversation, but that started a life of transformation. Jesus sees all of us in this way. Jesus sees that with the Spirit's empowerment, we actually have potential. Remember, what John has said about Jesus. He's the creator, right? So he knows everything about you. He knows all of your days, all of your giftedness, everything that you experience. Jesus knows it all. And in spite of all of the mess, Jesus still loves and grace flows And he chooses to use us in spite of us. He sees us through the eyes of unrealized potential. He sees us through the eyes of transformation. And it serves for us a great example of how we interact with others. And I wouldn't encourage you to go up to someone maybe at work tomorrow and say, Hey, you're going to have a new name. And I don't know that that would be your role. I don't know that that's your place. But I do think we can follow the heart of Jesus 
as we see him interacting in these early days with ordinary people, broken people, messy people. He saw what could be with his power and life in them. And so we have the great opportunity to look at others with the same perspective, the same perspective of hope. I would suggest as well we have from these conversations a very clear command from Jesus. Again, verse 43, not a lot of words. We have a new individual. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip. And this is what he said to him. And Jesus said to him, follow me. So, what is recorded for us in this text, very little information about these conversations, but very clear. What are you looking for? What do you want? Here he says, follow me. The command is clear. He went and found Philip, just an ordinary guy, and Jesus called him to a new life. And the command here, although it seems simple, actually becomes very complicated because the verb here is the full sense of a meeting. It's like, okay, stop what you're doing and follow me as a disciple. This is an imperative. It's a command. Jesus literally, with this invitation, brings a command. Follow what I say. And in the present tense, he's, he's saying, keep on following me. Come along. Follow me. And this concept involves believing and trusting, but there's a degree then as well of surrender. Jesus says, basically, I'm going to change your life. It's this way. Jesus found him. And he made it very clear what his will is. Follow me. Follow me. And what do we see here in the text? He actually did it. He did it. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses the law and all the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So That one moment of interaction, the response was, I will follow. I will follow. And we understand in other passages of Scripture what that really means. The call on a disciple's life is to lay down our individual crosses, our lives, and and, and really follow Jesus in whatever he asks of us. Follow me. It's simple, it's concise, but it is clear. The command is clear for all of God's children. Follow Jesus Christ. I would suggest, number five, that Jesus' authority is persuasive because we have here um, Jesus interacting with now Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's heart, I think, is revealed here a little bit when he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So we see what's naturally in the heart of man, and that typically is a little bit of prejudice, right? Um, in fact, the Galileans did, did not like people from, from Nazareth. And, and so we have here, they didn't find much use in the little town of Nazareth, and certainly that the Messiah would come from such a place. 
And so we have the prejudice of man's heart. It's not a new thing in 2023 or 1980. I mean, we're talking from the beginning. Man always has struggled with prejudice. Thinking they're better than someone else. Maybe because of where they're from or what they have. Or, or some sort of significance that they think they, 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 they have found as compared to others. Nathaniel really isn't thinking too much. And then Jesus reveals himself. And he's pretty persuasive. And how does he do that? He reveals to Nathaniel that he is the all-knowing God. Because... Nathaniel, prior to this, was, was sitting under a tree, and apparently Nathaniel would be the only person who would know apart from an all-knowing God. Because the text tells us here that, that Jesus said, before Philip called you, you were under the tree, and I saw you. And that's all it took for Nathaniel. He got it in that moment. In verse 49, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So instantly... When Jesus reveals himself and his authority, the heart is turned. Jesus is persuasive. So much so that Nathaniel would, in that moment, you are the Messiah. There's no one else that could have known that. You do know everything about my life. I will follow you. I will trust you. You are the one true God. Short, simple statements of Jesus interacting with others. But very, very, very persuasive. Follow me. Okay. You're going to have a new name. All right? Hey, I know everything about you. Yes, you do. I submit. And the last thing that I think we have here, which is a glorious thing, is his promise is unquestionable. His promise is unquestionable. What he says to these disciples, if you go back in the text, Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Yes, Nathaniel had believed. You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus makes a promise to simple faith. Nathaniel believed. You are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. You saw me when no one else does. And Jesus said, oh, it has only begun. You're going to see greater things than these. In fact, you are going to see the heavens open. You're going to see the supernatural confirming that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. It has only just begun for you, Nathaniel. His promise in this moment, it's unquestionable. He says, truly, truly, which is just kind of that, that way for, them, for, for us to understand practically. Jesus says, I am telling you the truth. It has only begun. That's what you have ahead of you. 
That is the hope that I will provide. That this belief that you have in this moment, it will only be confirmed over and over and over by how God will accomplish amazing things in the days to come. These guys would experience supernatural confirmation of who Jesus is, and they did. He called them to follow, and they did. And he promised understanding, and in time, it came. Now, there were points of doubt and question, even denial. But Jesus ultimately fulfilled his promise, and he will for us as well. He has promised that when we see him face to face, as we sang about earlier, we will be like him. The transformation process will be complete. The invitation for that all-satisfying life and, and water that he offers, it will be made real. And so while we travel down this journey of faith in the few short years that we have, some days running, some days walking, some some days just stumbling along. The promise of Jesus is unquestionable. Truly, truly, you will see greater things. You will see the heavens open. You will see the glory of our exalted Savior. And while we're on this side of the resurrection and we do know the end of the story, we know that He is sitting on the right hand of the Father this morning, interceding for us. We have already understood from the Word and even our own personal experience of knowing Jesus and walking with Him, we understand somewhat, but the day of understanding and clarity, it's going to become more full and and, and truly amazing. As the choir sang, when we all get to heaven. It's a promise. That we don't have to question. Jesus always delivers on his promises. He's God. His invitation, it's all-inclusive. It's a never-ending supply. His presence, it's convicting. Jesus, you are the Messiah. His perspective on all of us messy people, it's hopeful. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it. He knows the end of the story. And in spite of us, he chooses to use us along the way. But we must follow. The command is clear in Scripture. We must lay down our life to follow him. And sometimes in real clear moments like he did with Nathaniel when he said, I saw you under that tree. Or just the convincing truth as we have the Spirit of God in his word, that through his word he reminds us and shows us that his authority is the right one to submit to. He is very persuasive.
And then he constantly provides us with hope in the promise, in the promise that he has made. That he will deliver. He will ultimately set us free. And we will get to enjoy him forever and ever. We actually do have a living hope. Would you bow with me as we conclude our time this morning? In just a few conversations, with just a few statements, Jesus actually gives what every person needs. He says, what are you looking for? What do you want? What are you seeking? Simple statements. Hey, I've got a plan for you, Peter. I'm going to use you. Hey, Philip, you need to just follow me and trust me. And in the same way, Jesus does that for us. So let me ask you, what are you seeking? What do you want? Can I tell you that in Jesus, we find all the satisfaction that our hearts long for? That's what John tells us. We find it in him. And his invitation is simple. Come and see. Come and see. And I promise I will deliver. I don't know where you are today. Maybe, maybe you've walked in today and you don't know Jesus Christ personally. You are not a child of God. You, you don't even fully understand what that is. But <clears throat> from the truth in John, you have heard Jesus simply say, come and see and, and follow me. Can I encourage you to call on the name of the Lord and be saved? It's as simple as that. The Bible states, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will find eternal life. So in this moment, you can actually turn to Jesus and follow him, just like this disciple Philip. Turn and follow. Trust him as the Messiah. Trust him as the Son of God. You can become his child today. If you are his child, can I remind you what he offered you initially in, in salvation. He offered you a never-ending supply of life and is still available. You may have now been saved for decades and you're struggling, you're tired, you're weary. A lot has happened. Jesus still offers what he always offered. Life is found in him. Look to Jesus. Come and see. In him we find our living hope. God, this morning, in your text you have proven the fact that you are the all-knowing God. 
So you know the person sitting in every section, in every chair. On the main floor, on the balcony, those who are watching online, there is no one out of your glimpse today. And you know what we're all looking for. And you know the hearts that are fully surrendered as best as possible, those who are, are striving to look, for you, look to you for satisfaction and trying to, to just keep trusting you. And you know the hearts that are struggling. You know the hearts that are prone to wander and, and want to find it in every other place but you. But your perspective is still hopeful. You see us through the eyes of, of complete transformation. And so we believe that you're going to finish what you started. Even when we doubt, even when we fail, you will complete the work. And so Jesus, we just say thank you. We say thank you for the open invitation. Thank you for making it clear that you have the rightful place to say follow you. It is your authority that matters. And Jesus, thank you for what we have in the future to look forward to. God, would you just move in our midst to strengthen our faith and remind us of who you are. We need you in your holy and